I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Who, me? Or Aaron? Uh, well, both of you. But... What, like, together? Like, all three of us at once? Or me, then her, or her, it's, then me? It's, it's more of a conceptual thing. Oh, so you're not actually inviting us out. I mean, I don't actually need to pack up and fly out to Utah for <sighs> this, right? Damn! Guess I'll cancel that reservation. <laughs> you're both more than welcome to come out here. Well, what, what's this strange journey all about, anyway? It's not one of your man camps, I hope. Oh, God, that's all we need. We'd probably get snowed in. Yeah, those, then those inbred hillbillies from the September 1st episode would come in and rape us. Ladies, 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 ladies. I'm not going to take you on a man camp adventure. No, no, this, <laughs> this name implies, I mean, just the name itself implies this for mentally. So you're inviting us out to do what? Clean, cook, while you go man camping? Hey, you know, if he covers labor and travel expenses, I'll clean his house. Even his bathroom? Ooh, good point. That's not what I had in mind at all. This, it's, this strange journey thing is more of a, a mental experience. Co-hosting the show is a mental experience. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you, and it is also great to have Aaron and Jesse with me. How are you, ladies? Super. Doing great. Now, for the audience out there, I consider myself at this very moment to be the luckiest man alive. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, it's really great having a one-on-one uh, once a month, but it is genuinely something where, um, I don't know, it, I start like itching around my neck and my arms, and I, I just think I, I want a little bit more exposure. And then Aaron and I were joking last episode about, you know, having uh, the three of us on the show together, and then it just happened. It just fucking happened. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. We willed it into existence. Like magic. Yep. <laughs> super special magic. <laughs> so, yeah, every male listener out there is completely jealous right now. Mm. You should be. They should be, yeah. I'm super excited for this. This is going to be a great show. So, we do have a fantastic show for you. It is November 17. And let's see. We're going to start with the Devil's Advocate, as usual. And this is going to be a new talk. Because I have these two beautiful, powerful women on with me, we're going to be talking about empowered satanic women. Or loosely around that notion. <laughs> Then, in Agent Provocateur, Episode 7, Active Shooting, The Grand American Tradition, or Tips for Aspiring Active Shooters. And in the Creature Feature segment, we're going to be doing it a little bit different, again, because we have uh, a number of us here for you. We're going to give you our favorite de facto satanic movie, each of us. So, I hope that maybe someone's seen one of them. Uh, I don't know, but uh, we'll, we'll give you a little bit of that, and that should be good. Ladies, how was your week? Or, I guess, month. It's only busy. been a week, but yeah, busy. I would go with that. 
right. I can't believe it's <laughs> I can't believe it's mid November already. That's disgusting. It is crazy. Halloween <laughs> I felt like it, it was like a week of preparation and then it was mm-hmm. over and now I'm just sort of floating in that pre holiday season flutter. Like I don't I don't wanna jump into the Christmas stuff yet. Mm. We could jump into my birthday. That's coming up soon. Mm. You Next know week. what? Yeah. Um, would you like me to sing happy birthday to you? God, no. Good, because I'm going to. <laughs> ah, and Aaron, if, I mean, I'm sorry, Jesse, if you feel like jumping in with me. <laughs> sure. That would be awesome. Uh-oh. Don't want to put you on the spot or anything. <laughs> no, no, I'm in. All right. Make it sexy. Me, 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 me. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like this sexy. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all like that. <laughs> you sure? Yep. All right. Uh... Happy birthday, birthday to, to you. you. You being Aaron in this situation. <laughs> Happy birthday, birthday to you. you. Happy, Happy birthday, dear Aaron. Aaron. Happy birthday, Happy birthday to you. To you. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I'm Good night. Night. Birthday. That's going to be awesome. What? You want to tell everyone what day it is so they can start sending you cash right now? Uh, they can send it now. It's the 19th of November, so next Tuesday. Close. So close. So soon. I'm going to be so old. Yeah? Oh, my God. Like, like old, old. Like mid-20s old? Yeah. Like There's a mid-20s? Yes, the old the old 20s. There's a girl I work with who <laughs> legitimately thought I was a full decade younger than I am. So I'm going to start. I definitely am going to start lying about my age starting right now. So go ahead and ask me how old I'm going to be. How old are you going to be? Oh, yeah. 27. See, you got to belt it out faster than that because <laughs> it does sound like that's like a worse lie ever. <laughs> no, it's 27. Nice. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna start going the other way so that I look great for my age. Yeah, see that's the double <laughs> that's where I'm I don't want to go too low because then people will be like, My God, you've had a rough twenty seven years. <laughs> <laughs> so Yep. What what do you think that cutoff is when you when you think maybe I should go the other way? Instead of undercutting, overcutting. Well it depends on the woman. It depends how you look. I, you see, a lot of people say that I look a lot younger than I am, and I say it is mostly because I have tattoos, a face, you know, I have, my lip is pierced, I wear, you know, goofy clothes, and I think it has a lot to do with the, not the way I look like the crow's feet on my eyes, but more like the way I dress and, and appear, I dress like a child <laughs> and act like a child. That helps mm-hmm. too. So um, I think if I were to just clean up and put on like a power suit and like make maybe some nice slacks or something, people would believe my true age more readily. Wow. Yeah, um, I second that. I get told I look younger than I am, but I think it's because I'm skinny and most women in their 40s are, you know, putting on the pounds. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm not in my 40s yet, but yeah, I'm going the other way. I look like, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Jesse, what's your secret? Uh, don't know. I've always been skinny. Huh. Nice. You're one of those people that everyone hates. <laughs> I eat whatever I, I feel want. So hated. Oh, see. As a girl who struggled with my weight all my life, I feel no um 
hatred towards skinny girls because I've had a lot of, uh, you know, girlfriends that were thin and it's, you know, they also struggle with body image too. I'm not saying that you do, Jesse. I, I wouldn't imply that, but yeah, there's no matter what you look like as a woman, it's going to be tough. Oh, <laughs> don't know it. it. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking well, of looks, Adam, I saw a billboard the other day for, um, I forget, a car or something, but there was this man on there that looked just like you. And then as I got closer, I realized it was David Beckham. Has anyone ever told you you look like David Beckham? I Honestly, I'm not sure I know who David Beckham is. I know oh, he is, and yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good call. <laughs> yeah. It's also it, a hell of a compliment. It is. Oh, well, thank yeah. you. He's, he's married to... Which skinny spice? Whichever one. What's the spice girl? Yeah, he's one of them. One of them. He's married to scary skinny spice. Um, I don't know which one. Posh, posh spice. He's a uh, soccer player. De- oh, ben, okay. I'm like looking Beckham. at pictures of him right now. Wow, thanks. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll find the billboard and I'll send it to you. You look just. It's the. It looks just like one of your publicity shots I've seen. Nice. My publicity shots. <laughs> yeah, your headshots. <laughs> nice. All right, well, I do have a couple other things that I wanted to touch on, if you will uh, allow me, before we jump into the show here. And I'm looking at my notes, and I have no idea what this means. <laughs> I, does this ever happen to you? Oh, okay, I know what it is. Yes, okay. all the time. All I had was, like, in quotes, in quotes from scratch. I was like, what the fuck? Oh. <laughs> okay, so um, here's something that always sort of bothered me. Whenever I make, uh, like I'm, I make a cake for a friend for their birthday or something like that, um, there's always one person in sort of that area that's like, oh, yeah, how'd you make it? And you're like, oh, well, you know, I just put it together from a, like, a cake kit. You know what I mean? Like a little box cake kit thing. And they're like, oh, well, you didn't really make it. It's not it's not from scratch. Mm-hmm. So there's always one person that makes you feel like a total douchebag because you went the traditionally easy route of making the cake. Even though you feel like you did something a little more substantial because you put an effort rather than just bought it off a rack or something. Mm-hmm. And it's always kind of bothered me. And then, so because it's bothered me so much, I don't, I, and I don't know why I let stuff like that get to me, um, I go out of my way. So last night I had my uh, nephew over and we grilled up some pizzas. And I made the pizza dough from scratch. And I made the sauce from scratch. And we put everything together and uh, I delivered it to him, you know, just put it on his plate and I put it in front of him, like, here, enjoy. this. I made this for you from scratch. He was like... It's okay. <laughs> You're some, I, it, it may taste like dog shit. Like, genuinely, I, it may be horrible. But if I tell you I made like literally everything from scratch, give me a little bit of fucking kudos. Like, y- you can't win for losing in this food making situation. Like, there's no such thing really as from scratch because you're not growing everything yourself. And, you know, so at some point there has to be a cutoff of saying, okay, well, if you put x effort than it is you've made this like you mm. can now own it and claim it and then people should just be fucking happy that you did yeah. something rather than just like either cut you down because you didn't fucking grow the wheat and grind it yourself <laughs> or just like fucking it's like offhanded comment like uh meh let's go get some pizza hut fuck like, I, I think I just... your nephew is probably an asshole that's the <laughs> takeaway from this story he's an ingrate just kidding. I love your nephew. He very well did. He is related <laughs> to me, so... Right. Well, I, I was know. going you, off that. Did you ever do something, just, like, make something from a kit and get that reaction, or make something from scratch and get that reaction? 
I personally never make anything from scratch because I have, my time is worth a lot to me. <laughs> I, my, I'm a one trick pony. Whenever there's a special occasion, I make one thing and that is cake balls. And those cake balls take an entire fucking day to make. And, and that is from a, a kit or whatever, you know, Betty Crocker makes the cake mix for me. And then, but it's all the rest of it that takes it for fucking ever. And, um, I've tried to make cake balls from like a cake ball kit and it turns out nasty, but so there's a, there's a, a middle ground that works for me. You know, Betty Crocker makes the cake mix and then I do all the rest of the fucking hours worth of work that goes into cake ball making. I don't know about you, Jess. Do you cook from scratch, Jesse? It's, it's a matter of time, really. I mean, there are things that take just as much time to make from a box as they do to just grab the ingredients. So, you know, and it's cheaper if you can make it from scratch, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a bit of a tight wad. So I, uh, <laughs> I go with what's cheapest and what's quickest, which is actually more than half the time from scratch. I've never thought of it in that way before. Like I've always, I've always thought of it in either trying to impress or getting a sense of satisfaction, but taking a, like a, a time and monetary approach to it, I think would give me a, a different way. And it would also give me something to fall back on when the, that one asshole is like, well, mm-hmm. you didn't make it. You know, well, I you could always, start like, lying. Out. Yeah, that's true. You should lie. I, I found, you know, scratch you make it the more for me the more opportunity that is everything completely so the more steps there are involved the more like fuck it up you know so the less <laughs> less chances of me like screwing something up i'm i, I tend to go with that because i am a kind of a shitty i'm a terrible cook i'm a pretty good baker but i'm not a great baker so i You're just riding the wave of success of Betty Crocker. Hey, all she does is make the mix. I put the fucking magic into those cake balls. <laughs> Someday you'll try one of my cake balls and you'll say, I get it now. I can't wait to put a, one of your cake I balls in my mouth. knew it. <laughs> Didn't take long, did it? <laughs> um, I am getting a weird uh, distortion. So, you know, the way that we're putting this together um, is, you know, we're using a conference on Skype and, and that's how we're getting the three of us together here recording. So I'm hoping that the quality is going to maintain, but there is going to be a little bit of, um, you know, dropping in and out depending on connections. So uh, just for the audience, keep that in mind as we're going forward here. Um, all right. Well, there's like a, a couple more things that I want to touch on. First of all, I, I want to let everyone know that's been contacting me or responding to any of the social networking uh, posts and stuff. Thank you so much for engaging outside of just listening to the show. It means a lot. And I did want to bring up, because it's cyclical, the way uh, any podcast or any show uh, gains and loses listeners. Um, you, it's ebbs and flows. It's a natural course of, of time management for everyone, really. Uh, but every once in a while you get sort of that one super fan type person that just like <laughs> constantly contacts you and just does everything they can to be a part of that one thing. And maybe, I mean, one, it's super crazy flattering and I love it to death. Uh, but I do want to make sure everyone realizes that this is just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a life outside of this and I don't like to spend it. Um, 
filtering <laughs> like people's obsessiveness. So you know, let's all just be cool and you know the regular correspondence is fun and I enjoy it and responding socially is amazing. But if it ever gets in your head like maybe I'm contacting this person too much, and you probably are. <laughs> so let's let's just let everyone filter themselves with that in mind. Um, but because I do have some amazing, I, we have some amazing listeners, um, we've gotten a suggestion that I never even thought of, I never anticipated. And it's that um, you, one of the listeners wanted to have me interview myself. Well, that's it's kind of retarded. I'm not going to interview myself. But I asked Erin if she would interview me, and she's agreed to. And so if you would... and. I thought, well, why just me when I have some other really amazing contributors? So what I would like to do is sort of set up a segment like Get to Know the Voices of Nine Cents because it has grown uh, much more than just me and, and my infantile wit. Um, there's substance to some of these segments, to all of these segments, and so I, I want you to know uh, who is behind those as well. And so, uh, Jesse, I don't think I've ever mentioned this to you at all, um, though you may have seen it in other social networks. Um, but I would like to have each and every one of you um, be the focus of a Q&A. You know? So I, I want the audience out there, if you have a question for one of the contributors, uh, send it to me and we will compile them. Uh, I, I'm going to be the first one because it was requested first, but <laughs> we're going to go through every single and because I have a gigantic ego that I can barely stick in my head, um, we're going to filter through every single one of the segment uh, producers and have you guys know them a little bit more. I always, I always find it interesting when, when you have someone contact you and they're like, "Wow, well, you know, I, I imagine what you look like, but I have no idea. Uh, is there <laughs> anywhere where you can see what you look like?" And so, you know, Jesse has a photo on um, the Nine Cents podcast website and on her own personal blog so you can see what she looks like a very beautiful woman doing Aaron, my best Barbara Eden <laughs> <laughs> lovely love it very sexy Erin um, has photos out there um, on her social networking site so you can see what she looks like Darren has uh, his headshot is on the <laughs> that's where you actually do get a headshot uh, his headshot is on uh, his personal uh, Facebook pages and, and uh, the Nine Cents page and Adeen has his photos all over his uh, Facebook pages as well. So if you really do want to see what these voices look like, you are quite capable. And and this is something that I started thinking about. <laughs> and I hope this is not offensive to either one of you. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm, I'm already not. offended. Yeah, already. <laughs> the idea of it offends me. I, I have beautiful people on this podcast. Like, I, I was like, every single one of you, if... Give or take one sick situation, I would have sex with everyone on. The, I wouldn't. I'm not saying you would have sex with me. I'm just saying I would have sex with every single person on this podcast. Give or take one, you know, certain situation. Like it's amazing that this this many attractive, intelligent people can collaborate together. That's wildly arrogant to say, but yes, it's very cool. <laughs> okay, we're gonna have a five way. <laughs> you imagine the awkwardness of that? I'm already <laughs> imagining <laughs> that. All I, all I see is awkwardness. Everyone hearing this is, they may not admit it, but they're already trying to picture what the positions would be. <laughs> Completely. Um, so I, I, going back to uh, the question thing, um, 
Yes, yeah, submit your questions to info at 9centspodcast.com or respond to any or message anyone in social networks uh, wherever we are. And let us know the question. We will compile them. We'll get them out. I don't know when I'm actually going to be able to record and get this first one out. As we move into the holidays, I have one last special episode, the holiday special episode that I have to compile. And I'm really fucking busy. So I don't I don't know when it'll air. Um, but I am going to try to get it out before the end of the year. Um, I think it'll be interesting. Or maybe, I mean, maybe we just wait till the new year. And that'll be a great way to break into the new year of getting to know each of us a little bit better. You know, girls, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry, girls, uh, you know, ladies, okay. I'm going to be asking some, I'm going to have some weird questions for you. So I just want you to prepare yourselves. Oh, I'm going to pretend like they're from other people. <laughs> but they're going to be weird. I've got some weird ones for you too. <laughs> Sweet. Starting with who's your favorite. Oh, <laughs> that's the worst question you can no, ever ask. Uh, no, but uh, so for, for segments like this, keep sending in your suggestions. I love it. I've gotten a couple uh, suggestions for interviewees, and I'm going to try to reach out to those individuals and see if they're interested. Um, but just by nature of this being a satanic-oriented podcast, that cuts off a lot of potential people. So keep that in mind. I mean, we're sort of working with uh, double negatives here because, one, uh, Satanists who would be interested in listening to other Satanists are already a minority. Um, Satanists who would like to listen to other Satanists, who listen to podcasts or have time to listen to podcasts, is even more of a minority. And so when you're working with that small of a group, it's stunning that we still have as large of an audience as we do, but it does also mean that it, there's no way that some people would be willing to sort of come into this, you know, sort of circle of, of context. Um, especially the 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 more... Uh, public those individuals are in their own realms. So I, I mean, this probably doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> by way of example, you know, uh, like that, fuck, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, the popular atheist guy, the English atheist guy. Dawkins? Dawkins, Dawkins yeah. I'm, I'm not a huge fan, so it's, I never remember his name. Anyway, he was, you know, one of the people that people suggested. I was like, well, realistically, I don't, I don't ever see that dude ever agreeing to talk to me. I'll try. <laughs> I don't see it happening. That would be hilarious. <laughs> like the level he would have to drop to. to I mean, really. <laughs> I I know who I want to interview me when the time comes. Oh, really? Who? I don't know if I should say. It's going to be a surprise, but you know him. A very um, influential and high-ranking Satanist. If I may brag a bit. No, I'm just kidding. A friend of mine. You know who it is. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Okay. That'd be cool. If he, if they he are will. willing. <laughs> if he is willing. He <laughs> I don't is. know what you wanted me to say. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good idea. How about... So, yeah. Send in your questions, everyone. Let's do that. Let's move on here. Um, let's get into some empowered satanic women talk. There's nothing I like more. In the name of Satan, the ruler of the earth, the king. Though I am an active member, I do not speak for the church of Satan. When Adam asked us to talk about empowered satanic women, my first thought was, gee, I don't feel empowered. Maybe I'll get back to him the first time I ever start feeling empowered. (laughs) 
but I didn't, that's, that's too much of a cap out. I'm, I'm only half serious on that. I mean, when I think of power, I think of masculinity. And when I think of femininity, I think of influence. Now, that's not to say that men are powerful and women influential, because we all have both in us. It's just when I start thinking of empowered women, it kind of gets that whole feminism, the side of feminism that I really don't like, where they start bashing men and then hear me roar and all that <laughs> stuff that really drives me nuts. So it's kind of an awkward topic to talk about being an empowered satanic woman, even though I know there are objective means of saying that I am one. Um, the other thing he said is, you know, he wants to talk about what it means to be an empowered satanic woman today, which would be different in some ways from, say, when the uh, Complete Witch was first written. The thing is, technology changes at speeds that can, you can measure the changes in technology by the month. You can measure the changes in culture by the decade at least. But you measure the changes in biological evolution in like tens of thousands of years. So what it would mean to be the satanic witch today is going to be different from what it meant when the complete witch was written. It's a matter of, you can't ask, well, is it true that men and women are equally capable and should be receiving the same amount of pay and, and be able to do the same jobs? Or is it true that men are meant to go out and do things and women should stay home with the kids? The answer is yes, both. They're both <laughs> true. And to be successful and to be empowered is to know how to balance the two, how to, how to be in both worlds at the same time and making the most of both realities, I guess. <laughs> I think. Who knows? Well said. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I, I I'm sorry, I anticipated it a little bit more back and forth. <laughs> well, what about you, Erin? I mean, is there. <clears throat> I mean, that's really interesting, uh, Jesse, what you were saying. This idea of uh, the meaning, of, like, the context of, of empowerment differing. Um, how do you see that, Aaron, uh, in your life? I mean, is this something where you move through life and you just have this sense of empowerment about yourself, or is this something that you never even factor in? I never really think about it. Um, and I think it's due in large part to the way I was raised and the fact that it, uh, you know, feminism was, my mother was probably a feminist, but it wasn't really discussed. You know, it was just sort of, it wasn't ever couched in those kind of terms. You know, it wasn't ever like, and my mother was, she owned her own business for, you know, my entire childhood and, you know, into my adulthood. Um, she was the breadwinner. My father uh, retired early from his job to help my mom run her business. Um, and it was, but it was never really discussed as the fact that my mother was, you know, the breadwinner for the most part. Um and I think I learned by example that you don't have to talk about it to, to live it. You know, she went out there, she made, she made, you know, a lot of money in the eighties when everyone was making a lot of money and she was very successful. She was very powerful. Um, she ran a court reporting firm. So she worked for lawyers and for the courts and for the state 
she knew a lot of really important people in New Hampshire. I mean, let me <laughs> qualify that by saying we were living in New Hampshire. So it was sort of, you know, but she knew this, you know, she knew the governor. She was very connected and she was very, um, you know, uh, highly regarded in her field. She was actually one of the pioneers of um, the field at the time where she sort of grew it from this, you know, from, from, from nothing and became this really big company and then eventually sold the company. Um, but, uh, so growing up, I saw that I saw my mom as a powerful woman, but it, it's never really discussed, you know, and it may, you know, I don't want to put too many words in my father's mouth, but it may have, you know, not been discussed at great length because he had given up a lot for that. You know, he had sort of really just almost played the female role. If we were back in the fifties, he had given up his job to, to nurture her dream. And, um, you know, both of them were around all the time. My mom, for the most part, worked out of the house. So my parents were, con were always around. Um, so I just grew up in this environment. I'm sorry, this is going on a really long time. <laughs> I apologize. But <laughs> my point is that it was never the, the idea of feminism wasn't really discussed. We just, I just learned that you can do, you know, you can be a powerful woman and you don't have to call it anything. You don't have to name it anything. You don't have to put any sort of label on it, you know, and, and I, I, I learned a lot from that. Do you well, think if I can, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say if I can kind of play off that a bit, please. Um, because in my marriage, I'm the breadwinner mm -hmm. and that's actually difficult. And it's, mm -hmm. I thought it was just me at first, but I've heard statistics since that say you know, women have no problem when their husbands make more and men don't give a shit if their women make more. You know, mm -hmm. that a, a woman's earnings don't make her more attractive, but a man's earnings do make him more attractive because oh, we're yeah. all freaking gold diggers. Let's just face <laughs> it, we are. <laughs> so, I mean, in order to kind of do some cognitive gymnastics to not have this affect my marriage. I have to kind of look at everything else my husband does besides bring in cash. Sure. Yeah. Which is a I, lot. Yeah. Know? I can, I can uh, sympathize with that. I'm not married yet, but you know, I'm in a, a serious long-term relationship. I'm affianced to my boyfriend, <laughs> my fiance. Are you laughing at that? It's real. It's a word. Look it up. Um, right. but, uh, he's an artist. Artists don't make any money. You know, I have a job. I work in a library. I make, I, I don't make a lot of money, let's be honest, but it's a real job. You know, I get benefits. I have time off all that, you know, eventually I'll make more money. But so I am the breadwinner in this relationship. Um, and I have no problem with it, but deep down, I know that he does. You know, he, he wants to provide for me as a man. He wishes he were the one providing for me. And he makes up for it, though. As you were saying, Jesse, he makes up for it in a lot of ways. He fixes things. He does them. You know, he does a lot of manly things around around the house. And, you know, for me, I, I don't care. I, you know, my sort of empowerment, if I, you know, go back to the theme of this, it doesn't have anything to do with him, really, you know? That's actually really interesting. I I don't know if I ever thought that there would be a connection between um, if there is a significant other in, in the woman's life, whether they would factor into an individual sense of empowerment. 
But to hear you say that it doesn't, like absolutely doesn't. For um, me. It, yeah, I mean, it, it does make me wonder, what is, is it simply just something that because your, your mom gave you that influence that you just picked it up and ran with it? I mean, did you ever, because, and, and I asked that, because we are really early on, um, as far as culture goes, with women having equal rights as men. I mean, when you think about it, we're really early on in that scheme of things. Mm -hmm. Women were always, throughout all of human history, subdominant um, cultures, you know, depending, but mm -hmm. generally. So I think women today have a completely different sense of self than yeah. at any other time in all of history. And it's it's interesting to, to hear that because I, I also grew up in a family where the the woman was much more powerful, but not the breadwinner. And so it was an interesting juxtaposition between me seeing um, empowered women enacting in a family relationship, um, having much more authority over the man, even though he had all of the financial strength behind him. And then seeing all of the media of the time saying that a man's power was innate and that it was natural for him to make more money. That didn't factor into it. It was just men had more power and they exercised more power over women. And seeing the exact opposite in my family life, I think had a, a really powerful impact on me. And so to hear that echoed, Aaron, in your story specifically, I think that's really interesting. Um, well, I think that's very of our time. You know, you're... Yeah your mother's generation, your, that, um, older generation, that was sort of because of, this is such a young phenomenon of women in the workplace as equal to men, you know, that was women sort of exerting, starting to perhaps, and I am not a women's studies major by any means, but perhaps that is a sign of women starting to, um, assert their power, you know, in the home, like it started in the home and they said, you know, there's, they feel this unrest, you know, they feel like they deserve something more and that they maybe want more. Um, you know, I'm currently watching, going back and watching the old Mad Men movie, um, TV show. And I can see that, you know, there's that unrest in the home where women are sort of like, they're sick of the, that role that they had been playing and they, they're moving toward the role that we see now as women, you know, as the um, Secretary of State, uh, correct me here, you know, whatever Hillary, Hillary Clinton was. Um, Former Secretary of State. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Secretary of State. You know, it's, it's the sort of interim was our mother's generation uh, that they were just like, all right, fuck this shit. Like, here's what I'm capable of. And, but unfortunately, right now, all I can do, oh, the only way I can express that is within the family structure. And now, you know, a generation later, we see women actually sort of fulfilling that role of being the powerful one. But with our, our culture so far out of whack with our biology, mm -hmm. because, I mean, we're, we're a species that, that basically was patriarchal for how many tens of thousands of years? Mm -hmm. And now our culture is saying equal pay for equal work and... And, and technologically, women can do most jobs every bit as well as a man. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, is this the direction it's going to keep going, or will there be a backlash? I think there will be. <laughs> I think there will be a backlash, and I think it will come 
in the form of um, the children's sort of, you know, juvenile delinquency, if I, if I can use that sort of antiquated term, like when there's two people working and there's nobody who is the nurturer, who's home all the time, who's taking care of, you know, sort of um, molding these children and they're just being, you know, I don't want to say kids these days, you know, because I'm getting <laughs> old and I hate to say that, but I, it seems to me that I'm seeing a lot more sort of, uh, what's the word? You know, no one's really the one at home, like taking at home all the time. Who's taking care of these kids? You know, yeah, child care is outsourced. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. If not to the TV, then to daycare. I mean, mm-hmm. and then those people really don't fucking care either. So <laughs> you're never getting that intimate relationship that can be argued um, mm-hmm. is so important. And know, I think. Yeah, the backlash is going to be because this this uh, female role of outside the house is so new. I don't think the backlash is going to be so, you know, it's not going to kick the dudes back into the house. You know, it's just going to be <laughs> sort of like a kickback for the women to go back into the home. And I, you know, if I could be a fucking stay at home mom, minus the kids, <laughs> I would fucking love it. I'd love to fucking keep house all day. I mean, I say Me that too. now. I would, Me too. But, yeah. <laughs> I would love it, but, you know, it's just not an option. And like I said, I say that now, of course, I, you know, it's a good chance I get bored. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't, but, you know, I, I think it's much easier for women to be kicked back into the house than for a, there to be a complete sea change where men are suddenly like, hey, wait, maybe I'll, I mean, there are these like, you know, these men who <laughs> decided to be stay at home dads. And but I don't see that being the way things turn out. Right. And I mean, they're, they're just factual economic situations that are going to inform that decision anyway. You know, yeah. I mean, as things get more expensive, there's literally no way that you could both stay home in most mm-hmm. cases. So if, you know, there's so many different factors on that. I, I do want to bring up something here and maybe to close the conversation here out. Um, Jesse, you mentioned that it was different, um, the idea of being an empowered satanic woman today than it was maybe even when the Church of Satan was founded. And as we know, um, laws, established laws are are dramatically different from then to now uh, in concern with women's rights. So yeah, that's, I've never thought about that. And so do you, do you even think that it's relevant nowadays to say empowered satanic woman? Because the meaning of that it it's really based in era. I mean, to be an empowered satanic woman in the the late sixties, early seventies was one thing. To be an empowered satanic woman today is just an empowered woman. Well, in a sense, it's the same thing because even in the sixties, you still had you know we're still biologically cavemen, and in the sixties they were dealing with the culture and the zeitgeist of the sixties. That the culture has changed, mm-hmm. but it's still a matter of finding a way to make the best of both realities. So, you know, the the exact tactics different, the strategy the same. So then, for both of you, this question is there is there any element of of Satanism that informs your sense of empowerment? Absolutely. Yeah, just having fun. 
<laughs> well, I think the yeah, and the idea of lesser magic is important. I mean, for both sexes, but definitely as a woman, you got to know like play to your audience. That's kind of how I think of that lesser magic. Yeah. As 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 the culture moves further from the biology, I think the law of the forbidden will probably only get more powerful. Is my guess. Yeah. yeah. I would agree with that for sure. That's very that's interesting. I I would like to maybe capture that notion for another discussion um, on another day because I, I think there's a lot there that I would love to talk about. And maybe if you two are willing at some later date, we could do this again and speak specifically to that. Sure. Absolutely not. <laughs> You're the worst. The worst. Of course. Right. I'd love to. <laughs> All right. Well, how about we close it up there? Let's move on to a fantastic episode of Agent Provocateur. And on the other side, we'll jump into the creature feature. I am not a liberal nor a conservative. I am not a Democrat nor a Republican. I am not a socialist nor a capitalist. I am not an authoritarian and I'm definitely not fighting for your cause. I belong to no party, I support no politicians, I am loyal to no state, and your cause celebra means nothing to me. I am Darren Deicide, Agent Provocateur. Hello and welcome back to Agent Provocateur. Sorry about that recent interrupting newscast. That was weird, right? Anyway, I'm going to do it again because I love driving you deeper into my madness. Go to facebook.com slash agent provocateur on nine cents. That's agent provocateur on number nine cents. One big word after the backslash. <sighs> this is the newswire that has related articles, but will also continually clobber you with lesser seen nuggets of information that will help give you the 2020 vision that the human herd needs a serious prescription for. Get over there and hit like. So, let's go back to the old tried and true format of ranting and raving, shall we? This is active shooting, the grand American tradition, or tips for aspiring active shooters. I love these Rocky and Bullwinkle titles. This time I want to tackle active shooters. Active shooting, you know, as opposed to passive shooting. The kind of shooting you do after a fifth of the gym beam, where you line up a bunch of milk bottles on a fence, sit back in a lawn chair with sunglasses on, and take pot shots with your rusty old revolver? Yeah, no, not that. Active shooting. Active shooting is a recent term for a tried and true human tradition. Massacring! But surely there must be something that defines it and makes it stand out from your everyday massacre? Active shooting, I suspect, is a little different. Let's look at some classic examples. I think perhaps one of the most significant examples is the Columbine Massacre. The Columbine Massacre was arguably one of the first times we saw active shooting as a term enter the general American vernacular. Law enforcement identified the phenomenon. New protocols were suddenly being introduced in different aspects of American life to adapt to it. It was a type of massacre that perhaps was different for a number of reasons. First, who committed it and where it was committed, perhaps? This wasn't a random nut job from the streets. These were outcast students who decided they were going to exact, in their minds, a type of revenge against their peers. 
wasn't something entirely new. Look up the massacre that was done by Mitchell Johnson and Andrew Golden. They were even younger than Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris, and actually succeeded to some degree in carrying out Dylan and Eric's plan to panic the school body out into an open range for firing. Side note, believe it or not, the two murderers walk free today. America can be an interesting place. Anyway, the scope of the Columbine planning was also impressive. Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris had mapped their attack out, rigged IEDs, and were bent on inflicting maximum casualties. Nonetheless, it wasn't the first time a school was targeted by one of its own for a bombing. In fact, the first school massacre in America on record was committed in 1927 by Andrew Cahoe, a disgruntled school administrator. Not only was it the first, but he also set the record for the highest death toll. Talk about beginner's luck! Good job, America! 43 people were killed, and 58 were injured. The attack was the biggest school bloodbath and involved no gun murder, only bombs. Perhaps the gun control hysterics should chew on that one for a little while. Okay, so... Although Columbine was sensational, nothing particularly new or unique happened in those senses, except for maybe one thing. Something did change. In diaries, Eric and Dylan admit to wanting to create a sensational event of unheard proportions. A lot of people don't know about the fact that there is documentation of Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold's motives. They filmed something that is only known as the basement tapes. These are a series of home videos in which, amongst rants and raves, they talk about what they're doing and why. In it, they talk about their plans to distribute the tape to four news stations and how the tapes will be viewed by the world. Eric talks about also sending via email diagrams and blueprints of their master plan. They talk about how they will be the inspiration for movies and how they will become godlike. In their celebrity status. Hmm. Let's examine the second bloodiest school shooting in American history. This would be the Virginia Tech Massacre. 32 people were shot by Sung Hui Cho on the Virginia Tech campus. On the surface, it sounds like another standard active shooter situation. Indications show that he suffered from strange mental illnesses, but that's nothing new. Look up Michael Carniel and the Heath High School shooting. In that case, a student diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia shot into a prayer group, killing three students and injuring five. Nothing but your standard wacko losing his marbles and taking it out on his school. There wasn't nearly as much media coverage, though. Hmm. However, with Xiang Hui Cho, a media package was sent to NBC News by him that contained 25 minutes of video, 43 photographs, and 23 pages of PDF files he had compiled. Little bits were played in the media, I'm sure the ratings skyrocketed that day, but to this day the files have not been made public. We do know that he mentions Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris, and that there is documented history of him being deeply interested in them. Yet another manifesto is set in the hopes of utilizing people's obsession with mass media. The plot thickens. 
Dylan Klebold, Eric Harris, and Seung Lee Cho are considered active shooters, as are others like James Holmes, who committed the Aurora, Colorado theater shooting. Young men, I use that phrase purposefully because according to the FBI, only 4% of active shooter incidents since 2002 involved women. Young men deciding to take out loads of people in one fell swoop. But wait, what about mass murders that happen? you know, not counting the ones our government is behind, that logistically kill people in a similar manner but don't have that sensational twist. On August 24th, just recently, Jeffrey Johnson walked into Hassan Import in New York City, his former employer, and opened fire. He killed a former employee and injured nine before being shot by the NYPD. I don't know about you all, but... I had to search the internet to find this incident. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known it happened. However, I can tell you exactly what James Holmes looked like in his first court appearance with his freshly dyed red hair looking like a dazed and confused Deuce Bigelow. Literally, only a handful of days ago, November 7th, a man decked in full-body Kevlar armor reportedly walked into Al's barber shop in Detroit with a high-powered assault rifle and opened fire, killing three and injuring six. The situation is still hot, and they reportedly apprehended the shooter in Rochester, New York. His identity hasn't even been disclosed. Why isn't this being plastered all over mass media? What about the Pearl High School shooting? There's faintly an AP article on that one. Then 16-year-old Luke Woodham entered Pearl High School in Pearl, Mississippi, opening fire, killing two students and injuring seven. He had the same disgruntled, bullied disposition as any other school shooter. He also makes a confession before he begins murdering by sending an angry tirade to a friend in a message. Why the cricket chirping? Well, I'll confess now, I'm just playing with you. You see, I left out a critical dimension in all this stuff. At the Pearl High School shooting, Luke Woodham was apprehended by assistant principal Joel Myrick, who brandished his personal 45 semi-automatic and confronted Woodham in the parking lot. Wah, wah. Nothing ruins a good story like a goody two-shoe stopping the carnage. Think of what other things Luke could have done. Hell, he could have put the kibosh on things Kurt Cobain style. People love that shit. You can't reinvent the old Christ figure wheel, you know? Luke, next time, don't pansy out on us when you're confronted by an armed citizen. That's the time when you have a good old-fashioned western shootout. Hopefully NBC will be on the scene. Then you'll be real famous. Imagine how viral that would go on YouTube. Dan Rather ducking for cover behind news vans while wetting his pants. So... Maybe it's because the perpetrator is still alive in that Al's Barbershop incident that isn't getting as much attention? Of course, that's no fun. When you go guns of Navarro, it's nice to put the cherry on top by turning your brains into a Jackson Pollock painting. People love that stuff. Nah, I'm just messing around again. I forgot to mention that the Barbershop incident had to do with the barbershop running an illegal gambling racket in the back. So this was probably over some debts. Who cares about that, right? Blowing a room full of people away with an assault rifle is only fun if children are involved. Then it's worth a damn. Also, 
We kind of expect gamblers to do that. A good active shooter is when you get one of those it's the quiet ones you've got to watch type of guys. So I guess Jeffrey Johnson over at Hazan Import in New York City was also missing that je ne sais quoi, that Quentin Tarantino-esque thing that Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris were going for. Killing people in your former place of employment is just so passe. I mean, who does this guy think he is, a postal worker? Remember before we decided to mutilate the English language into another meaningless euphemism, we used to call it going postal? Well, we've diversified since then. Now going postal isn't just for postal workers anymore. Jeffrey Johnson, if you want to go out with a bang and go down in American history as an active shooter, you're going to have to work on your flair, buddy. Next time, light the room up in a clown suit. And don't go to your former employer. That's so cliche. Going postal is so... 80s. Go where there's lots of children. The media loves that again. President Obama will be pulling together press conferences about you in no time. There were 11,078 gun homicides in the U.S. in 2010. That's about a par for course number. Isn't it interesting to note what incidents appear and which don't? The U.S. Department of Homeland Security defines active shooting as, quote, an individual actively engaged in killing or attempting to kill people in a confined and populated area. In most cases, active shooters use firearms, and there is no pattern or method to their selection of victims, end quote. Again, massacring. But I submit to you that there is a new rub, in actuality, that does indeed make active shooting a little different than your standard run-of-the-mill let's-dig-a-ditch-and-shoot-some-peasants-in-the-back-of-the-head massacre. You see, when you dig a ditch and shoot peasants in the back of the head, you're trying to cover something up. You're trying to make a mass grave, cover the dead and lie, and hope nobody notice. Active shooting is a little different. It's here for your pleasure and entertainment. I suppose I could blame rock and roll or video games or bullying or mental illness or guns or a lack of religion or some other causality for this phenomenon. But when I write out my own definition for active shooting, it hints at a different source. Here we go. Here's my definition. Active shooting. A type of mass murder that is sensational enough to catch the media's attention so that advertising space can be sold and throngs of uneducated people can be entertained by a realer than fiction story since their real lives are just that boring. I'm Darren Deicide. Thank you for joining me on this edition of Agent. Welcome to another creature feature. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Um, super exciting. Uh, we're going to be talking about our favorite de facto satanic movies. I, <laughs> I'm going to go last because mine's the stupidest. I, I've been thinking about this since I mentioned it and I was running through movies in my head about, because I, I don't know, I'm hoping that you two took it to a personal level, your choice. <laughs> and I was trying to think of what sort of set me off in this spiral of sense of self that I'm on right now. Um, so I don't even know if that, that sounds very hippie. That's not what I'm meaning. And so my movie is going to be kind of maybe blatantly obvious, but also stupid. I, I, I may mention a couple others that I bounce back and forth too, but which one of you two would love to go first? I think you should go first. Me? You? you no, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I want Adam to set the tone. Not gonna okay. <laughs> what it if came he from out of space. <laughs> In another time. No, would, I be, go ahead. would I be an asshole if I asked Jesse to go first? No, not at all. Okay. Uh, yes, but it's okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I will. I will wear that mantle. <laughs> asshole. Wear it with pride. <laughs> okay, my choice uh, is "Swimming with Sharks" from 1994. It's a dark satire of the Hollywood film industry, starring. Uh, Kevin Spacey as Buddy Ackerman, an executive producer, and um, what the hell was his name? I'm real prepared. Frank Whaley <laughs> as Guy, who has just gotten hired as Buddy's personal assistant. Uh, <laughs> Spacey's character, Buddy, is a nightmare of a boss. He's sadistic, demanding, verbally abusive. He's hilarious. <laughs> now, Guy does his best to please Buddy until one day he's had enough of the abuse and he goes to Buddy's house, holds a gun to holds a gun at him, and ties him to a chair and then starts to torture him. Now bear in mind this is a comedy, okay? It's not <laughs> it's not like Saw or something. But on the surface of it, so far it's sounding like it would be a good vengeance film, and I suppose it would be, but that's just the surface. So Okay, one of the reasons I chose this movie is, you know, trying to think of all the movies I like and what would be satanic and what wouldn't be. One of the things that came to my mind is a lot of movies, you have some normal person that anybody in the audience can relate to and something happens to them and they react to it and that's your movie. I think something that makes a movie satanic is you have a normal person that everybody in the audience can relate to, but then they take <coughs> action and then they deal with the consequences of the action they've taken rather than just something happening to them. It's, it's satanic because they're making things happen in the world rather than just being a victim. So one of the things I liked about this movie Swimming with Sharks is Frank Whaley's character, he doesn't just become, you know, he doesn't just find himself suddenly straddled with this boss who's abusive to him. He went out seeking a job with this guy because he's a big Hollywood producer. And to work for him is like having your career handed to you on a silver platter. If he can be this guy's assistant long enough, he becomes a producer himself. But Buddy knows this. Buddy knows he's handing him a career on a silver platter. And so why not weed out the weak ones? And why not have fun doing it? And why not be a sadistic <laughs> asshole about it? So in a sense, there's really two satanic characters in this film. Buddy is the one who is 
very knowledgeable about the world, who really sees past all the hypocrisy, knows what's going on, sees the big picture, and is just having fun with it. And then Guy, he's very naive, he's new to it all, but he's the one who's making things happen. He's the one who's taking all the actions that move the film forward. Um, what else do I want to say about this? There are phrases in the it, this is a very dialogue heavy film. It's not there's not a lot of action with it, but the dialogue is it's it's wonderful. Um there's a phrase that keeps getting asked in the film. People keep asking guy, "What do you want?" Over and over they ask him, "What do you want?" in various contexts. That's not an easy question for anybody to answer. And if you think it's easy, you haven't ever tried to answer it yourself because it really takes some soul searching and such. Um like I said, the fact that Guy goes to work for Buddy is because he's looking to become an executive producer himself. But he kind of loses sight at that throughout the film and starts thinking, well, maybe it's this I want, maybe it's that I want, maybe it's this other thing. And it isn't until he really realizes what it is he wants that he's able to take an action that isn't misguided. Um, there's another phrase that gets used a lot that I love Buddy keeps saying, shut up, listen, learn, over and over. <laughs> shut up, listen, learn. And it's funny because when he says it, he'll then go on to tell him things like, your life doesn't matter. You you're only exist to serve my needs. <laughs> but what he's actually, if you think about it, he's actually truly mentoring the kid. If the kid would just shut up, listen, and learn, he'd realize that you don't want to do what Buddy tells you. You want to do what Buddy does. <laughs> you want to live for yourself and watch out for your own needs. So, nice. like, on, on many levels, this is just a great movie. I, I can't recommend it highly enough. It is, I mean, it's, it's 1994, and it does feel a little bit dated, but it's, it's funny nonetheless. You know what I found amazing is the parallels between the movie that you chose and the movie I chose. We had absolutely no contact beforehand. I had no idea what you were gonna, what movie you were gonna pick, and what movie I was gonna pick until this morning. But um, the um, the dialogue-heavy, sadistic boss with two satanic characters—it's almost a parallel between the movie that I chose, which is *Sweet Smell of Success*. And your movie, this is amazing. This is this is cool. Kismet. But um, <laughs> let me ask you, what what did you say? Guy's last name was? They never say it. Oh, I thought you said it was Whaley or something no, like no, that. The, the actor is Frank actor. Whaley, but his oh, character okay. is just the Guy. Oh, uh, okay. Because <laughs> I, I remember my like freshman English teacher said there were no accidents in you know movies and literature, and the fact that the guy's name was Whaley. And a movie called Swimming with Sharks. But, of course, it's the actor's name, so forget it. <laughs> we can edit this part out. <laughs> Not going to happen. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> but that's great. Well, tell us I, about yours. Oh, well, my movie is Sweet Smell of Success, which is a 1957 movie starring Burt Lancaster and Tony Curtis. And it's about... Um, <laughs> Burt Lancaster is a newspaper man. He's very influential, and uh, his, uh, his name is J.J. Honesecker. And Tony Curtis plays this guy called Sidney Falco, and Sidney Falco is sort of um, like a press agent. 
and he supplies Burt Lancaster's character with these stories. And uh, the reason I picked it is not necessarily because, like, none of the characters, there are two, you know, satanic characters, but in, in the end, neither one of them kind of ends up being satanic. They come across as very satanic throughout, but more the, the movie as a whole is very satanic. If, and mostly because it's very, it's a very sensual movie. And like the, it, and by sensual, I mean like the five senses. I mean, you have smell right there in the title, but they have, they have this weird thing throughout the movie um, where there's a bunch of illusions made between people and food. And it's often non-nutritional food. Like there's a uh, ice cream, a barrel of pretzels, waffles with syrup, um, a chicken in a pot, a cookie full of arsenic. Um, there's Fuck. a yeah, it's uh, you, but it's very dialogue heavy, and it's the you know Burt Lancaster is sort of this evil, almost sadistic character, but he is the epitome of power, and. It's in. It takes place in New York City, and it's it's uh, all black and white. But visually, it is uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. The filmmaker, uh, the cinema, cinematographer's name was James Wong, and uh, he treats the streets of New York City sort of like another character. You know, like um, it's just dark and there's shadows. You know, if you've ever seen a film noir, it's it's very noir. It's mm-hmm. you know everything's sort of. The, the juxtaposition between light and dark, but the thing that I that I really glommed onto in this movie is the idea of the senses. There's this great jazz soundtrack, um, which is you know sound and that complements the movie throughout. But the the most important sense in this movie to me was taste. I mean, if you read any of the articles about it, they describe. You know, the words like rancid, acerbic, pungent, peppery, bitter, biting, poisonous. But uh, there's a lot of quotes, too, within, like, um, like, what am I, a bowl of fruit? Or uh, the best line, of course, is I'd hate to take a bite out of you. You're a cookie full of arsenic. (laughs) And and, um, at one point, uh, Tony Curtis's character is um, described by one of the cops as the boy with the ice cream face. And uh, Miss... Hunsecker, the Burt Lancaster character, he's told, you've got more twists than a barrel of pretzels. And I've never really been able to figure out. I mean, I took, last semester I took class about film, and I, I really concentrated on this movie a lot, but I never could find anywhere that talked about all these crazy food references. Like, at one point, uh, one of the characters says to, to Sydney, this syrup you're giving out, you pour over waffles. Yeah, it's like they're constantly talking about food, shrimp, relish, <laughs> hot dogs. There's all these food references, but it's it's just a very um, sensual movie. But the characters, of course, are, are sort of satanic in a way. But they, by the end of the movie, you find out they're kind of they sort of fail in their endeavors, which I don't think is very satanic. But well, as long as you learn from it, you definitely do. I, I got to say two things. First mm-hmm. off, I really want to see this movie now. Like, <laughs> you have to see this movie. It is the, the, the dialogue itself. It's like a, it's almost a musical score. Like who, whoever wrote this and there were several people involved. It started as, I think, a story in, in the magazine Cos- Cosmopolitan and then it became 
you know, that was a screenplay, but several uh, writers were involved. But the, uh, the, what it's called the ricochet dialogue. And there's a lot of great dialogue, but the ricochet dialogue is where words are spoken to one person, but they're aimed at another person. Because, um, Maybe one of the first scenes, a lot of the scenes take place at a restaurant, which is also another sort of sensory um, theme. They're always at a restaurant eating. But Burt Lancaster is talking to one person and Tony Curtis's character is sort of behind and to the right of him. And he's very much addressing Tony Curtis's character, but he's not talking to him. And this is that idea of ricochet dialogue where he's speaking to other people, but it's bouncing off them and it's aimed at Tony Curtis's character. It's just a very, I mean, everything about this movie to me is satanic. You know, the characters to a degree until sort of the end where they kind of lose, which isn't very satanic. But within that, I mean, there's layer upon layer of satanic thought and action in this movie. Jesse, you said, what was the other thing you were? Well, the other thing was actually about satanic characters. So it's good. You stopped right there. You <laughs> led me right back into it. It's um, like we played this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like this was scripted, except this is totally not scripted. <laughs> um, no, it's the thing with characters is if you wanted to write a, a purely satanic character, I don't think it could be done because none of us are always on our game. You know, exactly. we everybody has shit happen to them out <laughs> of the blue and, and we all become douchebags and cunts at times and... <laughs> And and especially the thing about, you know, the, the, the satanic character's plans being foiled in the end. Well, that's kind of a, you know, that's what the the majority of people want to see is for the righteous person to win. So you have to expect that to happen in a movie. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm, I tend to, when I watch a movie for the first time, I just, you know, kind of, put the blinders on and watch it for what it is and enjoy it for what it is. But if there's a lot of movies that I've seen a lot of times, I I like to rewatch movies. And when I do that, I tend to find myself playing spot the Satanist. (laughs) 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 And there's never an exact match, but that doesn't mean you can't find inspiration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The thing with the, the characters in this movie, they're, they're sleazy, they're sinister, they're, manipulative but above all of that they're charming they're powerful and they're successful and they're not likable per se but they are but who cares you know they're charming and they're witty and they're they're not likable but they are absolutely and unequivocally desirable and i think that is very satanic like they're not likable and and who the fuck wants to be liked you know who wants to be that per- desirable though is it is very satanic and and these characters they may not win in the end but of course this is a movie and this is a snapshot in time and these characters may go on you know if we were to think outside of the movie script these characters may go on to great success you know but the 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 fact of the matter is that they're not likable in the movie you know but who wants to be likable they are desirable and people want to be them they're very powerful and they are very successful and they will continue you know the end of the movie is just the end of the movie it's just a speed bump in these you know fictional characters lives they will i assume you know if i were to sort of um project my satanic thoughts feelings onto them they will 
bounce back from this and they will carry on and in the end be ultimately successful. I'd like to touch on something really quick that, that I've heard uh, maybe, maybe hinted at in the background here. And um, it's this idea that, and I don't know if, if I'm the only one that had at some point in my life thought this or if this is an accepted idea um, that no one really ever brings up. But there's this thought out there um, that if you're a Satanist, you're an absolute control. If you're an absolutely powerful individual Satanist, then you have power and, and you never fail and you're strong and you will always be on top of any given situation. And I call bullshit on that. <laughs> I don't think that's true at all. I, I think if you're, if you're successful, powerful, I'm sorry. If you're a successful, powerful Satanist, I'm passionate about this. I'm, I'm sort of going over myself here. You fail at everything over and over again until you decide to either move on or you decide to just keep struggling, getting up and, and mastering it. There's no such thing as, as this sense of empowerment unless you apply it in your own life. We, we like to look at people we, we admire and project this sense of perfection upon them. But that's not real. That's your projection. That's not them as individuals. And, and, and when you're talking about Satanists, we're people. We're regular people. The difference is that we recognize certain human traits and we use that as a tool to get over or, or, or to move past or move beyond. So, you know, when we look at these movies and we're looking at these characters that we're trying to, like, maybe pigeonhole into this idea of a perfect Satanist, I think we're doing ourselves a discredit. Because what we should be doing, and again, my opinion, one size does not fit all, is that we should be identifying Satanic traits, recognizing those within ourselves, and using that as sort of a springboard. Um, and, and more appropriately in the show or in the series, we should be looking at as as... If you fail at what you're doing, that doesn't mean you're less of a Satanist. It, it means that you took a chance at what you want. That's satanic. Like just going along and being safe and, and, and comfortable, that's that's there's nothing about life in that. Yeah, I think uh, you know, knowing your strengths and recognizing your weaknesses is very satanic. You can't always be Powerful. You can't always be em empowered and, you know, you can't always be the, the golden ladder to yeah. other people, you know, um, which is a quote from the movie. But, nice. <laughs> you know, you have to recognizing your weaknesses is also very satanic. And it's, it's you know, the, the idea of being um, self-aware is very mm -hmm. satanic. And I think that. If we were to think that we were always all powerful and always constantly satanic is ridiculous and it's not being self-aware. It's being, you know, it's being a fucking liar. It's, you know, we're lying to ourselves if we think we're always on, on point, you know, we're always on top of our game. Sometimes we fail and when we fail, we learn something, you know? And But I do also think that genuinely believe that failing at things and how you take that, that's very satanic. Right, yeah. Like, the, the idea of being on your game, I mean, you know, 
it implies this idea of, well, if you're not on your game, then you're not satanic. And I, I don't buy that. And maybe no. that's just my reading into it. Um, I, I do want to stress that we are Satanists because we endure and persevere and we strive. We strive to enjoy that which is around us in our environments. We strive to control our lives, have, have be the sole dominant influence in our lives, not be uh, a slave to others, and to influence others, to exercise your will in the world around you. And, and, and that means, by definition, you're going to fail a lot. And mm -hmm. any successful human being on this planet, past and present, will and has said that they fail more than they succeed. <laughs> And that doesn't mean you're less of a Satanist. It means that you learn from it and you become stronger because of it. So failure is okay. It doesn't mean you're not Satanic. It, it's how you approach it that's going to determine whether you're Satanic about it or not. You might. You're here. Um, all right. Well, fuck. I really want to see these two shows now. Is, Je is Jesse still here? I am. Okay, but but okay. the thing is, I'm so perfect, and I never fail in anything. But I'm wondering if I should just drop off because you both sound really lame right now. Uh, I just had, I hadn't seen your Skype picture pop up in a while. I was afraid we lost you. No, that's uh, fine. Yeah, you're. Everybody knows Jesse has no no issues, no failure. <laughs> Everything goes wonderfully for me. <laughs> well, I feel really dumb. Because mine is not so interesting as yours. Oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, okay, so let me. I'm going to give you a little background before I give you it. And I'm going to sort of justify it in my explanation here. It took me a little while to get to this. When I was uh, my informative years, I had a uh, cousin travel over from Florida. And um, I've been Utah bound. I was born in Washington, but I've been Utah bound until I left into the military. And so my, my world experience was very limited. She came into town and she exposed me to music and she exposed me to um, movies that I had never, ever even considered before. And so she showed this movie that I'm going to sort of go into here shortly. And it, it blew my fucking mind because it, it, turned on its head what I considered was a, a regular person, what I considered was a strong person. Because I, I grew up in an environment where it was very much, you know, in my household, as I was saying earlier, my mom had the power. Um, but in the world around me, you were, as a growing young boy, you were forced to be the most masculine you could possibly be, or you were a faggot, is, you know, the term we always use of the day. Um, and it was undesirable, not because of, you know, like the, the nowadays literal term of that, meaning you're gay, but it was, it was just that you were, you were the loser in that environment. And no one wants to be a fucking loser. And I always struggled with this sense of identity because I was always the fucking outcast. I had boys literally throwing fucking rocks at me. I had <laughs> friends being convinced and turned away from me by these other boys. I, I was always on the outside and I never understood why. And once I saw this movie, it changed everything. I, I literally, it was like fucking 180. I, I didn't care anymore. It wasn't important. I, it was, it's like it gave me the, authority to be okay with who I was. And 
though the movie states it in sexuality terms, for me, it was an individual sense of power. I didn't have to care what other people thought. I could just be me. So the movie, if you haven't guessed already, is... <laughs> I felt so stupid. It's the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Ha, <laughs> <laughs> <Jesus> Christ. <laughs> Did not yeah. see that coming. <laughs> really? <laughs> it, it informed so much about the way I saw the world. And... And it struck a chord with me primarily probably because it's a musical and uh, it was put out in, I think it was like 75 or something like that. But it was, uh, it's a musical, it's sort of a rock opera um, and really now referred to as the de facto rock opera. Um, okay. But it, I grew up Jesus in a household. <laughs> Whatever. I still haven't seen that, by the way. <laughs> oh, you have to see that. Jesus. I um, but it's okay. I, I grew up in a household with, with girls who were obsessed with 80s sort of musicals and stuff like that. So I, maybe that rang something in me of, of liking a little bit more. But um, and so that maybe the premise of the show here is really you, you sort of peel the layers away here and it's about acceptance of oneself. But the story frames it around a really sort of bizarre um, couple who gets lost uh, essentially, their car breaks down in a really rainy, stormy night, and they're forced to uh, go into this hot, like, sort of scary mansion, which is populated by uh, aliens, really, uh, sexual deviants. Spoiler aliens. alert. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't seen it by now, uh, you, well, you should, but I'm not going to be spoiling it. Just had to say to touch me. So I, I had some really informative, powerful, informative years of, of sexualizing Susan Sarandon. So seeing her, before I ever saw this, so seeing her in this role was amazing to me. It, it really pushed that idea of, of feminine sexuality, even though you could argue that there's nothing feminine about this. It's, it's a lot more uh, male perception of, of sexuality through a transvestite through a feminine's eyes. But it's, it's meant to be fun, so you're not supposed to take it so seriously. But the messages that I took away from it were, don't dream it, be it. <laughs> Own who you are. It doesn't matter if you're crazy different than everyone else. What's important is that you're okay with what you're doing. And damn, literally damn everyone else who, who doesn't care. And growing up in a Mormon household where early on, because of the reactions of my peers to me, my parents were okay with me staying away from, you know, extracurricular activities and staying away from um, church that they all went to. Uh, that I, it was the shows like this that, that really allowed me to explore what my mind really was and that, that sort of carries through to who I am today. So it was, it was incredibly powerful. It is a campy, goofy, fun <laughs> show that is reenacted. It's a cult favorite. Have you ever uh, seen it? Have you ever gone and seen I it live? I've never reenacted it. Oh, you have I to. like it as a very personal thing. I don't like to... Oh, don't be such a square. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I, I really <laughs> enjoy the, the idea. Like, like because when I watch it, I'll sit there and I'll just, like, sing the songs and have a few drinks. And, you know, my wife and I, my wife will just make fun of me, really. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'll have a lot of fun with it. And this... I don't know. I, I get a sense of satisfaction of knowing that <laughs> uh, I, I, I feel I've always felt like an alien. I, I, everyone's treated me like a fucking alien. 
in this show, the, the people that allow you, sort of awaken you uh, as, as an audience member and as sort of the hero and heroine of the show, awaken their individuality and sexuality in the show, are aliens. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was that idea that, that really struck a chord with me. And then later in life, it would follow through to the alien elite with Satanism and, and Satanic ideals that, that really, I think, this show really perpetuates blatantly, openly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't have to be a fucking transvestite in order to enjoy it. You don't have to be gay to enjoy it. Um, Thank but you do have to like theater a little bit. <laughs> I love that movie. I mean, I, I made fun of you at first cause that, that is just how I do things, but <laughs> no, I do. fucking love this movie and I've seen it. You, you haven't lived until you've seen a live production where people throw toilet paper at the screen. Yeah. yeah that's a good choice. Like, no one's actually make, well, probably a lot of listeners are actually making fun of you, but I'm not. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I, well, I mean, it's the reason why I have the opening line on yeah. every single episode. I know. It's, it's the reason why, because this is, it, it, this is me being able to be honest, and I don't have to filter myself. And I get to, you know, you live your life with a filter. Nine mm-hmm. cents is filter-free. <laughs> 100% filter-free. You get all of the additives. <laughs> Good and bad. Um, have you seen this, Jesse? The... the I think I've only seen it once, and it was in a theater where they did the whole throw the rice, throw the toast kind of thing. So I actually, it would have been better if I had just seen it in the quiet of my own home rather than, because it's like I went with friends and they had all been doing this every week. (laughs) And like, oh, you got to, you got to experience this. You got to, so they gave me a big shopping bag full of stuff. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, okay, throw this. I'm like, okay. And I'm, you no know, context. And it kind of took yeah. it away from the movie, but I you do remember, I remember Tim Curry very fondly. I mean, he's, he's so never great. been bad in anything except legend. Well, but, <laughs> he's not <laughs> bad in anything. He may be in bad movies, but he is always stellar. Okay, I will give you that. I because I haven't seen Legend through far enough to see Tim Curry. In it, but. He's great. <laughs> yeah, he, he's truly amazing, and he does this really fantastic transformation for the film. That yeah is a lot of fun. It's a little bit sexy in a disturbing way, and it's it's God, just so singing. gay. Adam. Yeah, I know. once you you've heard this soundtrack a number of times, you can't help but find yourself singing it when you're watching it. It's it's a really great rock opera and really, in my opinion, the best, though I haven't seen Jesus Christ Superstar yet. I'll promise I'll see it. <laughs> so that was mine. De facto satanic movie. Really, it's about sexuality more than anything else, but um, it informed the... It sort of stepped me on the, the path, if you will, to Satanism without ever trying to. It's amazing. Well, three really, really different movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shockingly. I, I would have thought there would be a little more. I was worried that there would be a little carryover. And that's weird now saying it after we've already revealed because there's no way that there could be. But I was really shocked, though, how similar my movie was to Swimming with the Sharks. I mean, in sort of uh, at its core, very similar movies. Yeah. To, uh, is, so, it, mm-hmm. is it shocking that two very uh, amazing women... Have uh, similar tastes? No, not at all. 
Well, ladies, that's going to do it for our show. Already? We just Already. started. An hour 20 in. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was fun. I had, a lot of, I had a lot of fun. I hope we can do this sometime in the future. I'm game. Yeah, sure. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to our uh, individual segment times and then also to this. And the audience, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I don't know what you were expecting when I, when I posted this or when you tuned in. Imagine we didn't, we didn't know what we were expecting. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we're because there's no camera involved, you don't know, but I'm sitting here like completely naked in a Frankenfurter. Yeah, of course you are. <laughs> Flippers and a tutu here. <laughs> I am wearing a snowsuit. <laughs> I want nothing right. to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, everyone out there listening, we would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. But you can also find Aaron at... Oh, Chelsea Girl 19 on Twitter and on Facebook at Down to the Crossroads. And you can find Jesse. I'm damned lucky on Twitter and dressed from a satanic windbag.wordpress.com is my blog. Hell yeah. And I got to tell you, if, if you're not already checking out that blog or if you're not already checking out those Facebook page for uh, Down to the Crossroads, you guys are missing out because both of them put up significant content on those uh, respective sites that is not included in their monthly segments. And so if you do connect with them in those different areas, you will learn a little bit more about them individually. You will get some more wonderful uh, gems of discovery from either music or thought. Uh, it's, it's really fantastic. And I'm a fan of both of these women. I, I have the deepest respect for both of you. I think you're amazing, to be honest. And I know how that sounds. It's just like, whatever. But I genuinely <laughs> respect you both. I, I love you guys being voices on this podcast. And I feel like the luckiest fucking host ever to have you both. Oh, um, <laughs> And please let us know, audience, if you like what we're doing, if you hate what we're doing. I have gotten surprisingly little hate mail. I really thought I would have had more. I don't know if... There's you nothing to hate about the show. What are you talking yeah, well, about? Obviously, but I still would like to hear a little. So if you if you've sent me stuff you that you like, maybe think of something you don't like and let me know. I'll I want to hear some fucking violent language here. All right. <laughs> For nine cents, you can visit the Satanet Facebook, Google Plus, Twitter, and MySpace page, and get updated on weekly topics. Download the show Monday nights via RSS feed found at ninecentspodcast.com. We're also on Last FM, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to Nine Cents via iTunes by searching Nine Cents, and don't forget to leave a rating or a comment. Check out churchofsatan.com. You will find some amazing essays, some amazing general content um, that really is compiled for an audience like you. It is really the source for Satanism online, and you should do yourself a favor and go check it out. And keep in mind that the only way that Nine Cents is going to continue, the only way that these contributors are going to continue contributing, is if you share it with someone. And I know a lot of you are, and I, because you've told me you are, I, <laughs> I tell everyone I've gotten really good reception. I appreciate that. I love that. Please continue spreading the word. And for those of you who haven't, think about it. Think why, why is it that you don't want to tell anyone about it? I understand if you're, if you're uh, closed about who you are to those around you. But maybe you could do a little sneaky sneak. Maybe you could be like, you won't believe what I just heard. There's this, I can't believe this, 
evil satanic podcast called Emergencies. Mm-hmm. It's the most disgusting thing I've ever heard in my life. You should you should check this out. It's horrible. And then they'll listen and they'll love it. And they'll continue mm-hmm. to listen. So, you know, trick them. Use a little lesser magic, people. Keep nonsense going. Let's build it together. Let's keep it going. And once again, thank you for joining me. As always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by Aaron and Jesse. <laughs> and together, until next time. Hail Satan. Hail Satan.